incredible opportunity we have to worship God as his people through song and to lift up words that are true, that are biblical, and to see God at work in our lives. You know, I've been really excited because for the last several weeks, I don't know, maybe four to six weeks, we have, uh, every week we've seen somebody get baptized, uh, either here uh, in, in this place or at a swimming pool somewhere uh, with our home groups. And so uh, this week, uh, the young adult home group uh, had uh, someone baptized, one of the young ladies that is a disciple maker, Mikey Gatan, uh, has been discipling Vanessa and uh, she followed the Lord and Believer's baptism and we're, we're so excited every time we see that and, and I want you to be excited with us. So here's the video of, of that event this Friday night. Uh, and follow Jesus in the Lord's baptism. Um, I've known her for just a short three months, but Vanessa has just shown an eager heart to love Jesus and to follow Jesus. So Vanessa, in front of your family today, in front of your family believers, um, I'm gonna ask you two simple questions. The first one is, have you accepted Jesus as your King or as your Lord and as your Savior? Yes. Yes, okay. And Vanessa, are you willing to follow Jesus in his baptism? Okay. Then I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we're excited every time you're doing that as a disciple maker, if you're uh, making disciples, baptizing them, teaching them, share what's going on with you. Or if you want to be a disciple, if you want to follow the Lord in baptism, come talk to us and we'll, we'll connect you with someone that will walk with you in that process. I don't know if you've ever heard of the word cryonics. How many of you have heard of cryonics? Okay, there are a couple of you. Is this technology that supposedly freezes a corpse, a, a, somebody who recently died and it preserves their body and their brain with the hope that one day there will be the technology to bring them back to life. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? it it's the stuff of science fiction. Uh, and the first person who was frozen in that kind of a way, and it, it's a complicated process. I don't understand it all, but I think there's, there's some chemistry going on, and I think they drain the blood, and they put some kind of antifreeze uh, solution, and then they put them in this vault that's 196 below uh, Celsius degrees. 196 below, that's pretty cold. And, and then they're kept there, and the, the, the first person that was ever frozen in this kind of way is Dr. James Bedford. He was, he was frozen in 1967, and he's still frozen. And, and since then, there's been about 250 people who have uh, opted to do the same thing with their bodies after they've died. And, and uh, you know, people are asking, can those people ever really come back to life? And scientists think that it's science fiction, that it's not really a, a, a true science. And, and on the other side, those people that are really into it say that by the year 2030, we could see some of those frozen bodies uh, come back to life. Well, that'd be kind of a scary thing. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, I try to imagine what that would be like if, if you uh, were frozen and then 50 years later you would come and you were still as young as you were 50 years ago and you get a second chance at life. I would love to look like I did 50 years ago. 
and I'm barely 50 or so. Uh, but uh, it's crazy. I, I wonder what you would do if you had that opportunity, if you had this second chance at life, and your second chance was even a, a longer life, that, that you, know, you could even live your second life in a, in a much better way than you did the first life. What would you do? How would you live that life if you, if, you, if you would get to do that? Well, today we're not talking about frozen bodies so much. I know some people call churches that are dead, they call them the frozen chosen. Uh, but uh, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about bringing people back to life from spiritual death. We're talking about spiritual resurrection and we've already been singing about it and, and now we're going to dive into it. We are in a series from the book of Ephesians that we began a couple of Sundays ago and today's message is titled, Raised by Him. And we're talking about what God does to raise people to life, to spiritual life. And, and if you have experienced that, then you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't experienced it, then maybe today is the day that you will experience this incredible miracle of being brought to spiritual life. Go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV, and you can follow it in your Bibles or on the screen. And it reads like this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank God for his word. May the same spirit that inspired the pages of this Bible be the spirit that speaks to your heart and that anoints this speaker today. As we look at this scripture, I can't help but notice that there are two primary domains in which people can exist. There are two worlds in which people can operate. And as we look at these two domains, the question that I hope you ask yourself is, which one of those am I living in? And what does that mean to me? The first domain that we see here is the, the living dead domain. The living dead are those who are physically alive, who whose lungs inhale and exhale, whose heart is beating and 
The blood is flowing through their body, through every extremity, but they are spiritually dead. They might be able to see with their physical eyes and hear with their physical ears and speak with their mouth, and yet they are completely disconnected from the spiritual world. They, they are completely separated from God. That's what death is. Death is separation. When we speak of someone who dies physically, we say that their soul separates from their body. And so when we talk about spiritual death, death, we're talking about those who are spiritually separated from God. And the Bible tells us that all of us at one point were spiritually dead. All of us existed at some time in the living dead domain. Some of us may still be there, but all of us were there. Let's unpack that a little bit. Look at verse one again with me, where it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Who's you? Well, it's the, the Ephesians, it's the people in Asia Minor who are reading this letter. It's the church. Paul is writing to believers. He's writing to the church. He says, you at one point were dead in your transgressions. And therefore, if he's writing to the church and we're the church, then he's writing to us. And when he says you were dead, he's saying that, that we were dead. And, and, and the reality that we see in verse one is that sin is a deadly epidemic. Sin is what brought death to us. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, God warned them that if they disobeyed, they would die. You remember that? He placed them there and he gave them the freedom to have anything they wanted and to enjoy everything that God had created. He says, but, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree because the day you eat it, you will surely die. The devil told Adam and Eve, are you sure that's what God said? Anytime somebody comes to you and says, ah, are you really sure that that's what God meant? Be careful, because it may be the deceiver. He, he, he begins to cast doubt on what God has said. And, and at first glance, you look at the story, and Adam and Eve disobey, and it seems like they didn't die immediately, like God had said. But yet they did, because in the moment that they disobeyed, they became disconnected from a perfect fellowship that they had enjoyed with their creator. They died spiritually in that moment and later they would die physically. A disobedient couple could not have that perfect relationship and fellowship that they enjoy with a holy God as they had before. And like an infectious disease, sin entered their lives and, and began to erode at the physical and the spiritual and the moral life. In fact, the deadly sin it is an epidemic that's hereditary. It has been passed on from one generation to the other. Every child that is born is born with this disease. Now, children are not guilty of sin, but they are carriers, if you would. And when they get to the age where, where they can make a moral choice, 
we make the wrong choice, we sin, we inherited that sinful nature, and, and it affects us. Look at the first part of verse 3. It says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Now, what is flesh? Well, flesh is the sinful nature. It's not talking about the, the flesh and bones. It's not talking about the, the physical body. It's talking about the sinful nature that we inherited from Adam and Eve. Like, like, like a disease that is being passed on from generation to generation. It's a spiritual virus that inevitably leads us to, to spiritual death. I, I was talking to, uh, to my son who uh, is studying nursing in Austin. We were there visiting with him this weekend and, and he was telling us about his interest in the mental health area. And he, was, and he was telling us about the statistics of, of people who, who suffer from mental health issues. And he says, you know, the numbers and the people that, that, that uh, suffer this are much greater than we can imagine. And, and, and I jokingly said, you know, there's a little bit of crazy in all of us, right? And, and that's just a result of, of sin. Sin has broken us. And, 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 and physically and emotionally and mentally, there's a breakdown that has come because of sin. And Satan is a deceptive enemy. In the kingdom of the dead, Satan is king. Look at verse two. It says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now working those who are disobedient. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Satan. It, it was Satan who deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had the choice to listen to God's voice and obey it or to listen to the serpent and obey the serpent. And they chose to believe the serpent. And the moment that they did that, they dethroned God who had been king of their lives. They dethroned him and they allowed Satan to become king. They gave him the place. They gave him the opportunity to come in, not just into their lives, but into the entire human experience. And that's why it says here that he is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Every time that we choose to sin, every time that we choose to ignore God's word and we listen to the enemy's voice, we are giving him the place to be ruler. We are allowing him to be in charge. And he's a liar. The devil's a liar. He speaks to you and makes you doubt what God has said. He makes you doubt who you are and what God has promised that he will do. He makes you think that you're not who he says you are. And every time you listen to him, you give room for him to continue to deceive people today, continue to be deceived spiritually because they listen to the enemy. He keeps people spiritually blind so that they don't even realize that they need a savior. And then in this kingdom of the living dead, there's a sentence for destruction eternally. You know, sin separates us from God immediately. The moment that we sin, we are separated, that the fellowship is severed between us and God. But this separation 
unless something happens, unless something supernatural intervenes, this separation is eternal. Eternal death is the consequence of our sin, but it's also the sentence of a holy and righteous God. You know, this, this idea, uh, we, we find it in the latter part of verse three. You might've picked up on it earlier. It says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The living dead are objects of God's wrath. That's not a popular thought. You, we don't hear that kind of talk from prosperity preachers, do we? We don't hear them talking about the wrath of God. In fact, there's a lot of, uh, you, you know, sarcasm and jokes about the wrath of God. It's hard for us to imagine how, how loving and merciful God can have wrath. And yet the wrath of God is, is biblical, it's real. Now God's wrath is not some kind of irrational anger. God is not an emotional roller coaster. He's not a capricious God that sometimes decides to be happy in a good mood and, and sometimes he's in a grumpy mood. That's not what we're talking about. It is not hate. The wrath of God is not hate. The wrath of God is not incompatible with his love. God can be a loving God and he can be a God that possesses wrath at the same time because he created the world to reflect his glory. He created you and me so that we could have perfect fellowship with him. He made us as the crown of his creation. And when Satan and sin came in, it broke that. It, it, it brought that to, to ruin. And so every time that God sees sin, he's angry at sin. Not because he hates you, but because he hates what it does to you because he hates what he does to me, because he hates what he does to humanity. So therefore, the wrath of God is a reality. And it is on those who are continuing to walk in their sin, who are continuing in their disobedience. There is a sentence for that. It is a sentence for eternal separation because of disobedience and rebellion. Those who are the living dead are deserving of God's wrath. It's hard for us to imagine, but it's the truth of the gospel. The living dead domain is a bad place to be. It's a bad place to be. If that's where you are today, I would say get out of there quick. So what is the other domain? What is the other possibility? Well, the other possibility is the grateful living domain. Not Jerry Garcia's The Grateful Dead. But the grateful living. The grateful living are, are those who have been raised to life by God. The grateful living are those who were dead spiritually but are now alive because of Jesus Christ. And, and we see here that grace awakens with Christ. The scripture tells us that it is because of God's great love and because of his rich mercy and because of his grace that we have been awakened from our spiritual death with the same power that, that God raised Jesus from the dead, God comes into our lives and he calls us out of darkness, he calls us out of the grave and he raises us 
because of his grace. With the same power that Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus after being dead three days and the stone was removed and Jesus says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus rose from the dead and he came out of the tomb. That power is the power that has called you and me out of spiritual death into his living light, into his glorious purpose. By grace, by grace, verses four and five, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, even when we were dead, you know, a dead person cannot administer CPR to themselves. You ever seen a dead person try to do CPR on themselves? It doesn't happen. If somebody's gonna, if somebody's dead and needs CPR, it requires a living person who knows what they're doing and who cares enough to do something about it. And, and that's who God is for us. He made us alive with Christ. How can we not be grateful? How can we not sing at the top of our lungs and rejoice? He called us out of the spiritual grave into his wonderful light. And we notice here too that in the domain of the grateful living, God elevates us with Christ. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he had a glorified body and he showed up so that people could see him, but he didn't stick around very long. You know, after Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't go back to the cross. He didn't go back in the tomb. He didn't go back to the manger. He didn't go back to the fishing boat. He didn't go back to the carpenter shop. You know where he went? He went to heaven and he sat on a throne and he is king of kings and lord of lords. The Jesus that we serve, the Jesus that we trusted, is not hanging on a cross, is not laying in a tomb, is not a little baby in a manger. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and he rules the entire universe. That's our Jesus. That's our king. That's our savior. He's been lifted up above everything else. You know what the Bible says? That when God raised you from spiritual death, he seated you in the heavenly realms where Jesus rules. He took you out of wherever you were, whatever zip code you lived in, and he moved you into the palace of the king. You have a position and a place and a purpose in the palace of the king. Look with me at verse six and seven. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God didn't simply call us out of the tomb. He elevated us to new spiritual heights. You know what? When God does something, he does it well. When God saved you, he saved you thoroughly, fully, and completely. He didn't just throw you, you know, a, a lifesaver. 
he, and just left you there to figure out your way out. He lifted you up and put you in a higher place where you could see life from a different perspective, where you could see what he sees, where you could believe what is true. I grew up in, in Monterey, Mexico. It's a, it's a big city, it's busy, there's traffic, there's ugly and there's beauty at the same time. And I grew up and I saw all these things. I saw the environmental contamination and I saw uh, the traffic and the people and I saw good things and bad things. But you know, one of my favorite things to do was when our family would go hiking to one of the mountains surrounding Monterey. And we would go and we would enjoy that hike, the beautiful trees and we'd breathe that clean air. And then we would get to a lookout point and whether you did it during the day, it was great. You could see the entire city. Sometimes doing it in the evening was great because you could see all the lights. And somehow being up there gave me a different perspective. I knew that I lived down in that place and that's where I struggled and that's where I went to school and that's where I got in trouble with my teachers and that's where some bullied me and I bullied some and all those ugly things that sometimes we experience. But, but when I was up in the mountain, I said, wow, this is really bigger than whatever I experience on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, that's what God has done with us. He has lifted us up to a high place. So you can sit in the spiritual realm and you can look at your life from God's perspective and know that it is much bigger than you imagine. You may deal with little stuff here. You may have difficulties and challenges. You may have temptation. You may stumble and fall. But you have that new perspective that you have a position with Christ. And then we notice that in the domain of the grateful living, good works await in Christ. It is very clear that we're saved by grace not by works. In other words, we don't get right with God by doing good deeds. It is impossible to be right with God by doing the right things because we're spiritually dead. We cannot do good enough to make up for, for the sin that we've committed. Galatians 2.19 says, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No amount of good deeds will make you right with God. No amount of religious activity, no amount of sacraments would make you right with God. You can keep the Ten Commandments. Well, no, you can't really. But you think that you can keep the Ten Commandments, you can try to keep them, but even, if, but even if you could try hard, you can't get right with God that way. There is nothing that you can do. I shared this scripture of Galatians 2.16 with, with a group of men that we have breakfast every Tuesday morning and, and we talk about life and being followers of Christ. And, and uh, one of the men replied in the group text and he said, I am glad that justification is by faith in Jesus Christ. Works in the law would be manipulated by man to fit their desires. 
And I said, that's right on point. Because you cannot manipulate your way to heaven. You can't buy eternal life with money or good deeds or religious acts. You cannot play political games with God. You might be able to do it down here, but you can't play those games with God. You can't brag to anyone that you're good enough or smart enough to get in with God. We're saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. But although good works cannot save you, once you are saved, you will produce good works. Once you have been raised to life with Christ, you do good works not to gain God's favor, but to demonstrate that God's favor is on you. God, good works are not a means to get right with God, but they're the evidence that you are right with God. You know, a living person gives evidence of being alive, right? You can, you can tell when someone's alive. I mean, there are some people that maybe you have some doubts about. Maybe you need to take their pulse, right? But you can tell if someone's alive, and, and, and if you go to the doctor, they'll take your vital signs, they'll take your blood pressure, and they'll take your temperature, and, and they'll know how alive you are. Or they'll tell you to get on the scale. That's what I don't like to do. The scale at the doctor's office is a liar. <laughs> but you, you produce vital signs that demonstrate how alive you are, how much space you occupy, how much air you breathe. Well, you know, if you're alive spiritually, you will give evidence of it by your good works. That's what the Bible says. Look at verses eight through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. And then verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow, God raised us up with Christ. He's made us alive spiritually because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's elevated us to new heights so that we can live for him, so that we can carry out the purpose that he prepared beforehand for us. He saved us by grace so that we can live in a new way. There are two domains in which human beings can exist, the, the living dead, domain and the grateful living domain. All of us have been in the living dead domain, but only some of us are in the grateful living domain. And the way you get from one to the other is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. One domain is characterized by death and sin. The other one is characterized by spiritual life and good works. One domain is characterized is destined to a life of destruction and separation. The other domain is destined to a life of triumph and blessings and fulfillment and hope and eternal life. Which domain are you in? And how do you operate? Because if you've moved from one, the domain of the, of the dead to the one of the living, then you ought to be living in a new way. It ought to make a difference. So let me offer you three ways to apply God's word today. And one of these may be what the spirit is leading you to do. The first one is to awaken by grace through faith. 
If you realize today that you're spiritually dead and you need God to bring you to life, to spiritual life, if you realize that today for the first time in your life, it's because that's God calling you. It is God, it is God's Holy Spirit working in your heart, convincing you that you're dead, but that he wants to make you alive. And the only thing that you need to do is to open yourself up to the possibility. It's called faith. It's to believe that what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is enough to make you alive again, to make you live in the heavenly realms with Jesus, not just when you die, but even now. And so maybe that's what you need to do today. And if that's the case, then you can do that where you are. You can, you can pray right where you are. You can say, God, I, I know that I need spiritual life. I'm separated from you. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. And I, I want you to awaken me. I, I want you to make me alive. And I place my faith in Jesus. Maybe that's what you need to do today. That's the second thing that I want you to consider in a way of application is to arise to new heights in Christ. Once you have been placed, once you place your faith in Christ and you've been raised to spiritual life, you now live life in a higher plane. You've been given a position in the kingdom of God. You know, like an airplane, you get into an airplane and you trust that the pilot knows what they're doing, right? And you get, and the airplane begins to lift you up to heights that you could never rise on your own. And soon you look out the window and you're above the clouds. And, and that's what God can do in your life. He can raise you up to new heights when you trust him on a daily basis. You don't need to live under the bushes if God can make you fly over the clouds. He, he lifts you up on wings like eagles. You ever seen how high eagles fly? It's a lot higher than turkeys. A lot higher than turkeys. I don't know why some of us are satisfied with flying at the level of turkeys. But God has called us to, to fly new heights. Arise. Arise to your calling. Arise to your salvation. Arise to, to the new reality that God has placed you in. Third and final, accept your divine assignment. God has prepared an assignment for you in his kingdom. You've been saved by grace. You've been raised from death to life. You're the recipient of an incredible gift. But in his grace, God has prepared a new life for you. By his grace, God has made you and equipped you for a greater purpose. I love the first phrase of verse 10, where it says, for we are God's handiwork. Can you say that with me? We are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. Think about that. Have you ever made something with your hands that you're really proud of? I mean, maybe, maybe a cake or, or maybe something with woodwork. Um, you know, this weekend, as we were in Austin with, with our son, he, he asked if we could go by Ikea and, and, and get a table and a chair, because he didn't have a table and a chair in his apartment. 
And I was like, oh my goodness. Have you ever seen how many pieces come in those Ikea boxes? It's like a nightmare. So we went and we loaded it up and we went to his apartment and got our screwdriver and we began to put that thing together. And guess what? We didn't have any pieces left. That's pretty good for me. And, and we placed it there and both of us, you know, we kind of, you, you test it, you know, like you push on it. Yeah, it's firm. It's like, we did a good job, right? Like all of a sudden we're like Swedish engineers, right? Because we put a table together. Think about the fact that the Bible says that you are God's handiwork. And that God is so pleased with what he's done in your life. If you remember what we just read, he's so pleased with what he's done in your life that he's holding you up to show you off for ages to come. To display what the riches of his graces can do in a life that was dead and blind and lost and has been raised to be a son of the king, a daughter of the king that lives in incredible new ways. And he has a new assignment for you. And today you can accept that assignment and say, yes, Lord. I don't know what it is that you have for me to do, but whatever it is, whatever new reality, whatever new assignment, whatever new task you have for me to do, I'm right here. I will do it because of your grace. Would you stand with me? As you bow your head and, and pray and think about how you'll respond to God's word, maybe you need to trust him as Savior and Lord and you need to pray that prayer right where you are. Maybe you just need to ask him by faith to lift you up from wherever you are right now and help you live in a higher plane. Maybe you just need to say yes to that assignment he's been wanting to give you at work or at school or in your neighborhood or in the church or in the community. It's a time for commitment. Maybe he's calling you to be a disciple maker, to share your faith, to baptize, to teach the people that he brings into your life. Maybe you need to follow Lord and Believer's baptism. Maybe you need to join Calvary and be a part of what God is doing here. Whatever God is leading you to do, just say yes to him. Trust him. Receive from him what he has in store. Father, as we respond to your voice, as we respond to your spirit, give us faith. Give us the courage and the boldness to step out and trust you. And then watch you do amazing things. And we pray that you would do the miraculous in our hearts. I thank you for the young man in the 930 service who came and said, I want to pray to trust Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I thank you that today you brought somebody from dead to life. And I pray that you keep doing it. you consider how you'll respond to God today. Let's sing. 
Maybe you want to sing. Maybe you want to come and kneel down at the front. Maybe you want to pray where you are. Maybe you want to pray with me. I'll be up here. Whatever the Spirit is leading you to do, obey the Spirit.